Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey there, this is Straight Talk, no sugar added. I am your host, Nina Perez, and we are here to discuss life topics to challenge and transform your thinking. Let's do this. Today, I have Kristen Donnelly here, and she has her master's in social work, an MDiv, and a PhD. She's a TEDx speaker, international empathy educator, and a researcher with two decades of experience in helping people understand the beauty in difference and the power in inclusivity. And that's all I want to say right now, Kristen, because I want you to uh, let us know a little bit more about you, and then we're just going to go ahead and get into the nitty gritties here. That sounds great. Well, Nina, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this since we scheduled it. This is going to be a great conversation. Um, so in kind of totality, the, the who I am is somebody who is obsessed with curiosity, and I have been for most of my life, and completely convinced that if we could understand each other better and deeper, then we could all get along a little bit better. That the fractured society we live in currently isn't the way that we're meant to live or that we have to live, but getting, but doing something different requires work mm-hmm. um, that a lot of folks maybe aren't up for, but I think we're all capable of. That's so true. I feel the same way. I think there's a lot of fracture going on right now, um, personally. And I also believe that, you know, um, you know, our main media is flaming the fires of all that, you know, division going on between all of us. But, you know, humans are meant to be together. As far as I'm concerned, I think that we are supposed to be a village and we're supposed to be supporting each other. So I think that's where you're headed with, with, yeah. with what you're saying. And, and I, and I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, and so you have, I, I did say it right, right. It is a master's in social work as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. You have a lot of like a lot of things going on MDiv as well, which is amazing. And your PhD. So you're, you know, you like education. Education is big for you, right? I do. Yeah. I make the joke that they give, you know, they give those degrees for reading, writing, and speaking. And those are the three (laughs) things I'm good at. So, um, you know, that's kind of what it came down to. But yeah, I was in school from age three to age 33 with about a one year break. So I, I've done a lot of school. Yeah. Yeah. But education I think is so important, right? Because to me is it's always been important to me when Mm. I was younger, I had my son when I was 15 years old. So going to school for me, I had to finish high school and then that's all I did. And so when I got into my thirties, I couldn't take it anymore. I had to get back to get educated, right? Education really uh, opens your mind to different things, different possibilities, different groups of people, different ways of thinking. I always think of us as having like these different maps and everybody's map is completely different, but that doesn't mean that we are not going to, we're not trying to go to the same destination. Like me and you have completely different lives, completely different maps, but we're sitting in the same place right now talking to each other. Absolutely. I like that language. And yeah, I think education is so incredibly important. And in higher ed, we often, there's a lot of debate over what the point of higher ed is. And when I was uh, working in higher ed as a, as a college professory type person, what I often said was our job was to teach students how to think critically. 
um, you know, unfortunately a huge part of higher ed now is job preparedness and that's just mm -hmm. life and the market and how it works. But the really, the best programs and the best universities hold that in balance. They hold, they, they hold critical thinking and job preparedness um, in balance because we need both. We need to be able to critically think. And then that's where formal education is wonderful. And obviously I love it and you believe mm -hmm. in it. And it's incredibly important. We know that, you know, for instance, if a girl finishes elementary school, she has, you know, two times more likely a chance to um, delay pregnancy. If she finishes high school, she has an eight times more likely wow. chance to delay pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a lot of really great things to formal education, but there's also the discipline of being a lifelong learner and the discipline of understanding that education happens everywhere. It's every That's conversation right. that you're in. It's every book you pick up, fiction or non. It's every movie you watch, that there are ways that you can engage educationally with everything around you as part of a, a you know, a posture of how you work through the world. Right. And so I, I've been listening to, uh, I listened to a couple of your talks. I think we had a TED talk and stuff is very well done. Oh, and you. Um, you talked about uh, radical inclusive hospitality. And I wanted to, if you don't mind unpacking that a little bit, I do want to know what, you know, what you bring to that. Like, what is that to you? Radical inclusive hospitality. What is it to me is, is everything, which is just a really cheap answer for that. So let me unpack that more. Thanks for asking. So the, this kind of all goes back to my idea of, of diversity, right? My whole life. So I'm talking to you, I'm almost 38 years old. I've been, you know, so I'm a firm elder millennial. I'm like firmly in that. And a lot of my adolescence and early college years were spent in diversity initiatives. Um, I went to a public school that was very concerned with diversity. I went to a university that was very concerned with diversity. Um, I was part of a lot of church leadership stuff when I was growing up. And there was always, we always talked about diversity. Can, I, can I stop you there for like two seconds? Can you unpack what diversity is? Yes, I'm about to do that. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so... So it would niggle in the back of my mind that we weren't like something was wrong with this because every time I would be at a room and people would be talking about diversity, it was really quick, clear. They were only talking about black people and white people. Yeah. And they were treating it entirely as a tick box exercise. And it wasn't in any way, shape or form about recognizing the existing diversity in the room. Like I was, I got in a fight actually in college because most of our college was very apparently homogeneous, you know, white you know, evangelical or, or mainline Protestant. And like, they treated the, you know, 10 or so students of color on campus as like the bastion of diversity. And I was like, well, I'm one of the only students on campus whose family owns a family business. Like that brings a lot of diversity to the table. Mm -hmm. I'm also one of the only students who grew up above the Mason Dixon line. Like that brings a diversity to the table. And I kept getting shut down. Like that diversity wasn't as valid. So as I went through my social, my social science education and kind of looked at it, what I realized is that we, the reason we cannot achieve diversity the way that we want to is that we've already, is that diversity exists, it's a reality. What we need to achieve instead is inclusivity. So every human being carries mm. diversity within mm. them. This really goes back to the theory of intersectionality that Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw coined. This idea that none of us are one thing, we are all many, many things all That's at right. once. And so we form common points of intersection with each other, but we also form othering. And so there's this whole mess, but we keep pretending that we can achieve diversity. Like, well, I have a diversity initiative. We need to, we need to create diversity. No, pal, you got to recognize the diversity you have and then cultivate it to where it can be inclusivity so that everybody can bring their full selves to the table 
all the time so that I don't walk into a room and I am just categorized as overeducated white lady and you put me in that corner and that's it. That's all I am to this room without realizing that I bring a richness of diversity to the conversation. Right. So radical inclusive hospitality is opening up your life and your worldview and your mind and your heart and your everything and saying the best way to be human is with other people. I don't know how to human perfectly. Nobody does. We are all making this up as we go along. Right. So let's find other people who have different elements of diversity. Let's get to know them. Let's listen to them. Let's ask questions. Let's dig into what yeah. makes us both different and the same. And let's do life together. Right. And that is radical inclusive hospitality. Right. That's really good. So let me just say what I think you're saying, right? Is that you are actually bringing the uh, actual whole person into the picture and not just what the color will represent or your idea of what that color would represent. If you're, if you're saying diversity is about color, right? Correct. And, yeah. and we've got to move beyond it even being about color, yeah. but like so yeah. diversity is about, you know, there's ability and there's reproductive right. choices and there's socioeconomic status and there's all of those things. Like there's so many times I'm in a room full of women and I'm the only one who doesn't have kids. Right. And yet we'll pretend that that room isn't diverse because it's a room full of white women. Right. Right. Well, there's a lot of diversity in this room. Right. There's right. diversity of opinion. Oh, there's I diversity so of life experience. I so agree. But like, does that room, is that room a safe place for me to be a not mom? Right. Oh, that's good. How many stories, how many times have I been in women's networking things where the assumption is that everyone in the room is a mom? Right. And that others me really strongly. Right. Well, that's so really that's good. kind of, it's that constant exploration of, okay, what are we not allowing at the table? In what ways have I possibly ostracized this intersection? Does this joke that I tell all the time actually tell someone I don't value them? Right. Right. Where are my blind spots? Where do I need to human better? Um, it's a posture. It's a constant. Like I, I tell people all the time, practicing radical inclusive hospitality is really, really simple. It's hard <laughs> and it's yeah. a discipline and it's something you have to learn and unlearn and relearn and do, but it's really simple. You just have to listen to people. Right. Now, did you coin that term? I never heard that before. Radical hospitality, I definitely didn't. It's a Christian practice for sure. Um, I've never heard anybody else say radical inclusive hospitality, but that doesn't yeah, mean never heard else that. ever has. Okay. Um, but I used it in both the video that you got to watch was part of my virtual showcase from the Big Talk Academy. My TEDx talk is not currently live as you and I are okay. talking, but I spend a lot more time in my TEDx unpacking that phrase okay. um, and understanding what it is. And um yeah, I mean, I'm, I might be the first person. I hope I'm not. I don't think I am. But um, I, you know, I, I hope I'm not the only one having this conversation. Yeah, I, I don't know if you if you are the only one having this conversation, Kristen, but what I'm realizing is that people are being more and more afraid of having a conversation. Yeah. Right. So so these conversations don't normally happen. And therefore, we don't get to the point of having that radical, inclusive um, hospitality because, gosh forbid, you say something wrong. Right. You know, and that's part of this is normalizing, apologize, normalizing, changing your mind, yes. saying I was wrong and holding everybody in a little bit of grace. I frequently say absolutely nobody changes their world through worldview through shame or statistics. Yep. Nobody. Right. You might change a behavior in the moment because you're ashamed or a statistic told you to, 
but you don't change your worldview or your, or your human practice. You change your human practice through stories and relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the more fractured we are as a society and the less stories and relationships that you experience, which is why I love things like online fandom or clubhouse apps or things like that, where it breaks down some of the, of the barriers between different groups of folks. And you can have some more kind of honest conversations, um, potentially because, you know, you're not making eye contact, which is a real, a real harsh thing sometimes. Um, but yeah, we have to, I'm very, very, very blessed that my social work training gave me a leg up in a lot of this in mm-hmm. how to sit with people you disagree with, how to serve people you believe are, you know, screwing up their life, um, you know, how to kind of be with humans of all different stripes and, and varieties, but it's not, it's not like an exclusive social work skill. Like it's right. not something only we can do. Right, um, right. It's just what we get paid to do. Right. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I hear that completely. And I think that, you know, most of us do have biases that we already come into, you know, any room or any role with. Right. But we have to, and I agree with you about, you know, just like, you know, the eye contact can be intimidating and stuff, but it's also very important for us to listen to the voice of the other person. Like I'm wondering, because you are a white woman, mm-hmm. right. Is it an automatic let me push back on this with her because she doesn't understand, you know, what it is to be diverse. Do you get that, that bit of a pushback? Oh, Oh, for sure. To which I say, okay, cool. Here are my intersections. Like, no, I have absolutely no idea what it's like to be a person of color. No. And I would never, ever, ever say that I, I do. Um, I definitely try to empathize and everything else, but here are the other intersections. I'm fat. And there's a lot of places in this country and this planet that I physically and emotionally don't fit in. I am a woman who was raised in the church who does not have children. That is an ostracization that is not irrelevant. Um, I, you know, have, here are all of the other things that are right. Right. And so, no, I don't have my, my privilege in my, in race is significant. And that's actually one of the reasons that my business partner and I, uh, both who are both white middle-class educated ladies, uh, cisgendered heterosexual, you know, female, very feminine presenting women is because a lot of the intersections that people have a lot of trouble talking about right now are intersections that we do not have any skin in the game around and we don't have it personally and we don't have to do the emotional labor that often comes it's different for me to stand up in front of a room of white people and talk about whiteness mm-hmm. it just is it's something that it's it's it can create spaces that some other folks maybe can't create but we do get that we get how are you how can you possibly be having this conversation to which we say like if it's somebody who's actively looking to engage in dialogue, we'll be like, okay, well, where do you think we we're letting, we're, we're letting the side down here? Where right. can we learn more? How can we expand our understanding? But I'll be completely honest. Most of that feedback we've gotten to this point, which I'm saying this like only, you know, a couple months into us being very vocally having this convert, these conversations, it's a lot of people who are just really hurt and angry. Yeah. Yeah. And they're looking for places to be hurt and angry. And our response to hurt and anger is listening and unpacking and saying, hey, we'll sit with you however long this is. Um, you know, it's 
there's a lot of people that we really respect in a lot of different intersections that we go to a lot. And we're like, Hey, I don't know anything about this. Like a great example is after the terrorist shooting in Atlanta, we realized that we didn't really understand the Asian American experience, even academically. Like it was a, it was a, a pocket we missed. So we went to a friend of ours um, who does work in multiculturalism and is married to a Cambodian refugee and is in these conversations a lot. And we mm -hmm. said, Cheryl, where do we start? Like, I know nothing, where do we start? And she pointed us to a six part PBS documentary on Asian America that was incredible. And we spent, the two of us were watching it via, you know, Slack with each other because she's mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh and I'm in Philly. And we're like, oh my God, I had no idea. Why wasn't I taught this? Why didn't I know this? Oh, I have to, I have to unlearn what I thought about America and relearn it from someone else's perspective. And we hope that by carrying that posture of humility, which is always, we know we don't know everything, but here are the things we do know. Right. And how can we leverage our privilege for the power of others, which is really what we're trying to do. When we approach things from an attitude of service and humility, people have generally received that, but we're very aware of it. I mean, yeah, I'm two, we're two white ladies talking about diversity. We're not blind to that. That's awkward. Um, yeah. But we're going to be the, the people that call it out first because we're just going to say like, th this is who we are. And this is the conversation we feel really called to have. Yeah. And I think, you know, that it's also something that there's nothing to be, how do I word this? You know, I guess it's because I, I've, I'm hearing you say, you know, we're, we're, we're two, you know, white women who are doing this and our whiteness and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, to me, I feel like you're just a human, right? So I don't, I don't, I, I guess my brain just doesn't work that way. You know, like I don't usually see, oh, this is a white person. So they are, they have privilege. This is a black person. They don't, I, I don't see it that way. I'm Hispanic myself. I just never saw it that way. I always saw myself as, okay, this is what you have in front of you. What are you going to do about it? And how do you leverage yourself up? Right. Very, so very real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, that's just how I see it. Right. So I, I have friends from every culture, right? So white, black, uh, Asian, I got all kinds of friends and I love it. Love it. Freaking love it. Um, and I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. And um, so, um, you know, I've had a couple of my uh, white girlfriends, just because we're talking about whiteness right now, whatever, you know, who I've said, you know, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, uh, because of my whiteness, I'm like, I have to stop them because I can't, I can't like, I, I just doesn't, my brain just doesn't work that way. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like you are doing the work because you want to. Right. And you're making you're you're bringing up these conversations because they're important. And I think people need to have these conversations because we're all freaking human, right? The same way you're a human and I'm a human. Now we have that intersection where we're meeting. For sure. Right? I think, yeah. I think the, the issue is that the race is a system right. that holds up the world in a very specific way. And it's entirely socially constructed. It has no basis in, in biology. You right. Know, it's, it's just a thing we've decided. And so because of that, right, right. whiteness is a thing that matters. Like, mm. because unfortunately, a whole lot of other people who aren't us have created a world in which we're told it has to matter. And so I think there's a balance here between like, yeah, I don't really care what your melanin level is in order for right. me to interact with you. But I also want to hold intention and in memory all the time that I am not the only person you interact with. Mm. and that mm. there may be a whole lot of other people in your life who have both overtly and covertly reacted to you very specifically based on your skin tone mm. and that this system is in the United States for instance there has always been some group that is denied housing rights based on the color of their skin always mm -hmm. that's a reality 
And right. so we, we have to hold that as much as the human to human interaction might not need to be colored by it. Right. I like also holding it. And I mean, one of the reasons I say my whiteness a lot is that, um, we have to have a conversation about whiteness versus white supremacy and kind of all that other stuff. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. our are conversation two different right things. here, yeah. but yeah. like we have to get more comfortable as white folks, not pretending that we are the default oh, I and see. pretending mm-hmm. we don't have a race. We do. Our race right. is white. Right. And so what that kind of looks like, and that's why I bring that to the table a lot. Um, and because I completely agree with you that it doesn't necessarily color, <laughs> pun unintended, I promise, <laughs> our person-to-person interaction. Yeah, yeah. But man, have I been in rooms where it does. Yeah, sure no, I see that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see that. And and I think, you know, it, it can go both ways. I was actually born and raised in the projects, right? So I was born and raised in the projects. It was mainly Hispanic and Blacks. I did have white friends there as well. Right. But mainly Hispanic and blacks. And it, and it it can kind of go the other way, too. Right. They see you and automatically have an instant reaction to what you're saying. And I see what you're saying, that some worldviews already like that. And you're trying to understand that better. Right. Yeah. Got it. I, Got yeah. it. I just figure yeah. everybody comes with their own sets of baggage, opinions, worldviews and whatever. Yeah. And one of the gifts that I've been given, and I, I go back to my social work training, but this is very true, is to see the innate dignity and worth in every human being. That's right. So when I start from that place in my own self, in my own energy, in my own worldview, even the most awkward conversations get a little bit easier because right. I can try to listen past the emotions. I can try to like, okay, cool. I hear what you're saying. And I sit with that and I receive that. Here's another way to look at it if you're interested. If not, it's been lovely talking with you and there you go. Yeah, But this is why I hate the word tolerance and I hate the concept of tolerance Mm. because what tolerance does is it flattens all of this and it essentially just says, I don't have to interact with you. I know who you are based on one to three criteria and a whole lot of other assumptions. You are alive because I'm not allowed to kill you and that's about it. Mm. And the minute that, and that's what we were fed for most of the nineties and the aughts is that we are, we have to tolerate each other. I think that's actually really insulting Yeah, and like really, really kind of ugly. And what I'd like to do instead is acknowledge that the minute you interact with somebody on any level, mental, I should say tolerance is entirely passive and lets us off the hook as well. And we don't need to be let off the hook. Look at what has happened as we've been let off the hook. We need to be back on the hook. And so the minute you engage emotionally, intellectually, physically with somebody, you have moved past tolerance. You can say, wow, okay, this is a toxic situation and I got to separate myself from it and I'm not going to be in a relationship with you. That's not tolerance. Right. Like that's, that's the beyond. Um, it is, we have to move past the, the not, the only engaging with our own worldviews. That's true. And I, you know, that goes to like where we started, right? With about everybody having a different map. Right. But I think everybody also needs to own their stuff too. Correct. It can't just always be, oh, it's, um, you know, it's a white point of view or it's a black, you got to own your stuff too. Like you can't just come at somebody and then expect them. Yeah. 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 Like I I would never, what? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just saying like, I would never want to be sitting in a room with you and assuming because you're the white woman that I could just come at you. You know what I'm saying? Because I have this, you know what I mean? Because you're a freaking woman and a human being also. 
you see what I'm, you see where I'm at? Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. think, and I've been in, I mean, I think we've all been in a lot of rooms where that's the prevalent emotion. And we've all been in a lot of rooms where that's not the prevalent emotion. Right. And I think, I think the best thing we can do to move us all to like, how do we interact with humans is to say some of the quiet things out loud. Mm-hmm. And to say like to, I think owning it is important, not only owning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have privilege based on these systems and because of just where I was born, who I was born to the decisions my parents made before I was even conceived all of this, all of this soup that I swim in. I mean, first of all, if you are an American citizen, if you are a blue passport holder, you have a privilege on this planet that most of us don't really fully understand. Even backbreaking poverty in the United States is not backbreaking poverty in a lot of other places in the 100% world. Hundred percent agreed. And so there are resources here that don't exist in other places, as yeah. broken and as terrible as our systems are. We have to kind of acknowledge the global scale of things sometimes, right? Right. And just say, you know what? Here are the places because the way I say it frequently is that all of us have privilege. I all say of that us too. Have privilege. I say that too. And so, yeah, so you have to acknowledge your privileges before you can acknowledge your oppressions. If you start entirely from a place of your oppressions, it's going to be real difficult to do community with people. It's going to be really different to human with other people. But if it's going to be difficult for you to even strive because you're oppressed. It's, it's going to be, you're coming at it from a really negative place. And we talk about energy and, you know, the laws of the universe. It's just a really exhausting way to live. We know from research, it's very valid. And a lot of people get to make that decision for themselves. But it is, you know, when you're, when you're coming from a place of anger perpetually, it's very draining. And I, I did that for a little while. Um, And my anger was entirely, you know, very much based and in against the patriarchy, I was angry. And the more I learned and the more I did, I worked a lot with rape survivors and uh, rape as a weapon of war, you know, women that had been, had been raped as a weapon of war and what that kind of looked like. I was just so angry all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't serving anybody. It was, I think important. I had to burn the anger off. I had to sit with that rage for a little while and really feel it because some of the things that I saw and did and experienced and heard were the worst parts of human. They were the worst things we can do to each other. That's, that's just part of, part of pieces of jobs that I've had, but I couldn't park there. Yeah. Good for you. Cause all it would do is damage me. Yeah. And not do anything productive to move the planet forward. That's right. That's right. So what is your goal? What is the goal? Change with all, the world. With, that's good. And how are we doing this? One conversation at a time? One conversation at a time. So we consider ourselves empathy educators. My deep, deep hope is like in terms of the current parlance, like I think Brene Brown has gone, has Dr. Brene Brown has done a lot to help us understand vulnerability. Yeah. We'd like to do a lot to help everybody understand that empathy is not like an emotional response. It's a mental and intellectual posture that you move through the world with. Um, So that's it. That's the goal is how do we help? How do we, and then everyone else that we love and interact with and serve understand and enact and live from a posture of empathy. And how are you and your partner doing this right now? Great question. A bunch of different ways um, because we are both, uh, people who love to produce content. <laughs> so we've got a podcast Good. called The Culture Cast that comes out three times a week that helps, that talks about culture, both popped and lived culture in a way to help do empathy. We've got a YouTube channel with a bunch of different um, series on them. One of them is called The Colonizers World Tour, where we're spending a different week in a different country and oh, talking so about neat. the history and legacy of colonization in it. 
Um, I do an interview series called Welcome to My World, where I've got folks from all different walks of life telling me about their lives. Something I'd love to have you on, Nina, if you'd love it. Sure. Um, So we do that. We also teach workshops and do corporate retreats and show up on Zoom channels. We um, run a research institute at Charleston Southern University. We work with students at Charleston Southern. Every way that we can figure out how to leverage our training and our emotional calling as educators um, is something that we do. Good. I'm really happy that you're doing this kind of work. I'm really happy that you're doing these kind of conversations. This is so important. And, um, you know, although, you know, people might not agree, disagree, whatever it is, the conversation is happening. And I feel like if we can at least get there, then we can overcome all the other stuff. Right. And, you know, people don't always like what I have to say either, because I'm just a straight talker. That's just how I talk. And I'm always like, listen, I just don't agree with you. I, 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 that's just, I just don't, but that doesn't mean that what you're saying is invalid. You know, I just, I don't have to agree with everything you say or feel at this moment, you know? Um, And, and the best thing about us is that we are, um, you know, people who have a brain that keeps growing and expanding. And so what I believe today might not be what I believe tomorrow when I get more educated. Absolutely. And that's one of the major beautiful things about normalizing, changing our minds. Right. Because like, if (laughs) it's like, we decided like, once we all graduated college, we could stop changing our minds and we could stop growing. Like, oh my God, the things I believed in my twenties. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was such a sweet (laughs) summer child. I had no idea about the world and totally thought I did. And it's, we have to keep growing and loving and love is a verb. It is in an activating entity yeah. as you move through the planet. So I love what you're doing. I totally believe in straight talk. I think that's the only way we can do it. The only is way. Because we've often mixed up honesty with cruelty in a way. Um, and that's not, yeah. yeah. speaking your truth is not necessarily a cruel thing. It's not right. invalidating somebody else. It's simply saying, this is my worldview and I want to be honest about it so that we can disclose that and move forward in our relationship. Yeah. It's been, it's it's been a very hard time this last year. People are very visceral to their reaction towards you. You know, it's like the second you say something, they don't agree. It's a visceral reaction. I'm like, we're having a conversation. There's no need for like this, this. So your, your whole posture is changing here. Let's just talk. I want to hear what you have to say. You know, so I think uh, what you're doing is important work and I love it. And I'm going to make sure that I follow on everything because I really like you. So if you don't mind really, really quick, I'm going to let you go, but I would like you to let my audience know how they can find you. I know you told us a little bit about the podcast, but what's, what's your YouTube channel name and your social media handles? We are boring and that our name is the same pretty much everywhere. So oh, it's at Abby Research. You spell Abby with an E. So A-B-B-E-Y Research. We're on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Perfect. LinkedIn, all under that name. Great. Our website is abby-research.com because um, Abby Research was taken at some sort of like biomedical thing or whatever. But anyway, so we're abby-research. You can sign up for our newsletter there. You can see a lot of pictures of us being kind of uh, cheesy. Um, but the best way to get a hold of us is to comment on YouTube or DM us on any of those platforms and we'll get back to you. Great. And um, I'm assuming that do you do a lot of talks for like different corporations and yes. things like that? Perfect. Okay, great. Yep. Yep. We love awesome. showing up to your organization via Zoom or in person. We are in the aftertimes after all um, and helping you and yours wrestle through what it means to be empathetic. That is fantastic. 
Thank you so much for being here with me. This was really, really good, Kristen. I appreciate you and I really appreciate your time. And I would love to uh, be a part of uh, your program as well. So just uh, send that over to me. I'll go ahead and book that in. Thank you so much. You are amazing. And guys, you heard it here. So make sure that you follow Abby Research on all the uh, media platforms and make sure that you reach out, DM them, ask them questions, also sign up for the newsletter. I think that this conversation is needed and overdue. So make sure that you are a part of this conversation with us. This is Nina Perez. This is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and make sure that you share away because I think something this important is really important to share and to have people's mind open up to different conversations. Until next time. Make sure that you visit our website at Straight Talk No Sugar Added, where you can subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher or anywhere you listen to your podcast or on YouTube so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about our show, that would be awesome too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our book as well. It's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, How I Overcame a Hard-Hitting Life. I am Nina Perez, and I am here for you. If you are looking for private coaching, make sure that you email me at hello at straighttalknosugaraddit.com. Until next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.